You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. It's Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company. Thank you for joining us for another Keepin' Science Real podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Leon Eikhoff Gentry, K8 Science Marketing Manager at Savvis Learning. Leon, who's our guest today? Walter, today we have Dr. Chris Moore, who is the Dr. George uh, F. Haddock's Community Chair in Physical Science and a professor of physics at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. Uh, he is also a co-author of the curriculums Experience Chemistry and Experience Physics with Savage Learning Company. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here today. Leon, thank you so much for having me. Uh, hey, Chris, um, by the way, just on a side note, I don't know if you know, but I'm originally from Nebraska. I was born in Lincoln, Nebraska. So go Big Red. I don't know if you guys are Big Red there at university. <laughs> we might be rivals. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are not. A, we're a different university, but uh, we are in the same system. And uh I'm not from Nebraska. I'm actually from Virginia, but uh, I am a Nebraskan right now. Oh, way to go. I'm down in Texas and I'm still a Nebraskan. So, well, you know, you carry that to heart when you when you travel. But anyway, um, so, Chris, today I want to address um, an elephant in the room. Drum roll, please. Math in science. Uh, we have discussed this a, a little bit before you and I at conferences and um, through emails, but there seems to be quite a bit of anxiety centered around the integration of math and science instruction, especially in chemistry and physics. What are your thoughts on this? So teachers are often, and rightly so, often concerned about student readiness, and they're concerned about whether students are going to be prepared to integrate the mathematics uh, that we find in, say, chemistry and even more so oftentimes in physics. And so what this does is it can lead to a feeling uh, among our teachers that they, they need to reduce the math in the science curriculum, uh, that they need to make things maybe a little bit easier or maybe uh, maybe. Maybe they're not quite prepared for the rigor of mathematics that you might might see in a physics curriculum uh, that you might see in stoichiometry within chemistry. And there is some validation to these concerns, right? Because these are areas where we know that our students will struggle. Uh, if you ask any chemistry teacher, they will tell you that stoichiometry is one of those areas that really, uh, really causes a challenge for their students. Uh, if you ask a physics teacher, it's pretty much everything. Uh, starting with kinematics at the very beginning uh, and having to deal with um, some of the, the mathematics right up front uh, that, that's that's prevalent throughout a physics curriculum. Um, and so there's also, also a, a bit of a valid focus that teachers have in the sciences on conceptual understanding, uh, both in secondary chemistry and in secondary physics. So, you know, sometimes we as teachers, we see that there's sort of a dichotomy between math medical understanding and conceptual understanding within the sciences. Um, but one of the things hopefully I think we're going to talk about today is that really there shouldn't be this uh, dichotomy, that, that math is just another way of expressing and representing the science that the students are learning and that we can focus on that, uh, the, that sort of those sort of multiple ways of representing the science, then uh, we can both, we can, 
we can sort of destigmatize the math at the same time as helping students uh, through the math um, and and strengthen the conceptual understanding. Now, when you and I, we, you know, when we first met, you were in the midst of writing um along with some others, the experience chemistry, and then later the experience physics programs um, for, with Sabbath. And you had, you, you had mentioned that you guys had considered this issue when you were writing these programs. How did you and your partners address this idea of pairing math with the chem and physics content in those two programs? Yeah, so the first place we started is that we didn't assume that students were prepared for the mathematics. Uh, what we did is we, we looked at eighth grade standards and mm -hmm. that's really our starting point. But then at the same time, we're not just coming in, in it from, from the perspective that students are now all of the sudden experts in eighth grade mathematics. Uh, so we don't make that assumption, but we also don't assume that students aren't ready for math within our, within our curriculum. So our approach has been uh, focused on integrating the science learning with the mathematics learning so that the so that student we, we expect students to learn some math while they're learning the science. And so we don't make that assumption that they already have. But at the same time, we do uh, we, we know that they are ready. Um, especially if we look at the standards on which we're, we're basing our curriculum. Again, we start from an eighth grade science perspective. So that means that, say, uh, physics first is an example with our physics curriculum. Uh, the mathematics there, there's that preparation. Now, maybe there needs to be a little bit better, a little bit stronger integration for that sort of uh, ninth grade physics first curriculum. But if it's 10th, 11th grade, depending on where schools put the physics within the curriculum, you know, we they're going to be ready. Um, and then the other major approach that we take in both, both chemistry and both physics, is our focus on, on, on multiple representations pedagogy. And so what I mean by that is that phenomena in science can be represented in multiple ways. So, for example, uh, motion is a good place to start. And this is probably where you can see clearest within our pedagogy, uh, it would be in that, that first investigation and experience physics, which deals with motion. Um, students can represent the motion as uh, a motion diagram. They can draw out individual steps in time of, of, of an object moving. They can reduce that down and abstractify it through what we call dot diagrams. These are very concrete ways that students can express motion of an object, right? That they can do it in drawings. And from that, they can learn how to build graphs of motion. So positions is a function of time. Uh, velocity is a function of time. Acceleration is a function of time. And then using those graphs, they can actually create the mathematical equations. And so by doing that, we've shown students that there's multiple ways of expressing the same phenomena and that the mathematics is just one of those ways of expressing right. phenomena. And they have multiple ways now that they can go about solving, say, a, a problem that they might do in motion. 
Uh, they can use the graphs. They can use the mathematics and do some algebraic manipulation. Um, they can even use the drawings that they've made. I mean, there's some creative ways of using those drawings to answer the same question. So uh, it, 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 what it, in, in a sense it does is it just shows the student that the mathematics is just another way of representing their, the physical phenomena. We have examples of this throughout both the chemistry and the physics curriculum. We do it both in, with stoichiometry is another example of how we can use graphs of actual um, uh, graphs of, uh, of, of reactions uh, as an example to, to show another way of thinking about what's going on uh, within the, the phenomena. I, I like what you're describing here because oftentimes what I, well, what I experienced um, when, when I was in school uh, is that the that ex math experience was pulled out it was kind of reviewed in isolation and then we would go back and we would study a little bit in the, you know the chemistry and then or the physics and then we were supposed to as students figure out how to mash that together on our own but what i see is very beneficial in the way you 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 and your team has kind of thought this through is that you're you're bringing them together. You're connecting them together, and and showing how they how the science and the math um, processes are kind of moving together in this in this content. Yeah, and so there's you know there's decades of of research in cognitive science uh, on how humans learn, whether you're you know pre K to secondary all the way up to adult learners. And the, the reality is uh, most of our sensory perception comes through our eyes and the sense of how we interpret the world around us, the external world around us. And so we are conditioned to think about the world in terms of qualitative pictures. And mathematics is a significant, significant abstraction from that in the sense that we are uh, basically taking symbols that represent uh, various things and combining them through rules and a whole host of uh, different manipulations. And so it's significantly farther abstract from that visual picture. And so what we do within the curriculum and, and everything that we do and uh, in, in each of our investigations is start with that concrete that mental model that a student can uh, put together, that sort of visual representation of the phenomena that a student can put together in their mind um, as concrete as possible, and then slowly work our way through the more abstract ways of representing things. And so you need to move students from the concrete to that highly abstract mathematics and then have, and then go the other way. And so students would be able to transfer their understanding from different representations to different representations in both directions. So, for example, if you have an, a mathematical model, an equation that represents something, can they express that in a graph? And then can they take that graph and then act out whatever it is? So in our case, if we were just talking about kinematics. We were just talking about motion. Can they look at an equation? translate that to, to a graph representation, and then translate that graph representation into actual physical motion that they can act out, uh, and then be able to go back and forth the other way. And that's what we mean by multiple representations pedagogy, where we're getting students to go through the multiple different ways of expressing exactly the same phenomena, so that they know, uh, so that we're doing two things. First off, we are highly integrating the mathematics with the conceptual understanding, right? So they're not just learning algebraic manipulations uh, that we, we avoid that at all costs. 
where uh, we just say, here's a an equation and you, you, you know, you have Y and over here you have T, I want you to solve for T, right? Because students don't learn science when they do that, they're learning how to do algebraic manipulations. Nothing wrong with that. That's something that they, you know, those are skills that are valuable. But the way we approach it within our curriculums is that we want them to understand what where that equation is coming from and how it how it actually represents motion as opposed to just being told that it does in some way. And so that's why they have to be able to go back and forth and make those translations. And that's why we make that focus um, so clear within our curriculum. I absolutely love what you just described. So with, with this in mind, uh, what you described, I, I know we have a lot of teachers out there that are they're looking for something they can take right now. Um, you know, what are some proactive steps or or maybe some strategies that teachers can implement, um, you know, to ease some of these anxieties uh, and around that stigma of math? So there's anxieties on both sides, right? So there's there's the anxieties that students have and then there's the anxieties that teachers have. Right. And sometimes the anxieties are double on the teacher side. They're anxious about the fact that students are going to struggle with math. And then they're anxious about the fact that they're going to struggle with math, too. Uh, you know, I'm not the brightest uh, math bulb uh, in the box of light bulbs. Uh, you know, so but I've always struggled with this myself a little bit in terms of my own anxiety with mathematics. Um, but once we kind of have a, rep, uh, a recognition that it's just another way of representing a concept, um, and that we have other tools in the toolbox. And maybe I'm not that good as a, you know, maybe me as a student, I'm not that good at that tool, right? And I need to get a little bit better, but I still have all these other options of understanding the science, right? Well, then, then that kind of, uh, that lowers the stakes a little bit on the science. Because it's important to think that, um, first off, that the math isn't necessarily scary, but at the same time, let's let's make math not be the thing that we just focus on 100% within, say, a physics or chemistry class. Let's give students alternate ways of expressing ideas, right, so that they can still show that they're understanding the science. And at the same time, uh, we've lowered the stakes on the math. So if we just give students. So, for example, when we when we when we think about assessment, oftentimes uh, what we're showing to the student is what we value as, a, as instructors. So. If I give a test and it's just a bunch of algebraic problems that they have to solve, then obviously the student's going to focus and say, "Well, this is just a math class. This isn't stoichiometry. This isn't uh, this isn't you know force acceleration in, in in my physics class, right?" But if instead we have them moving through representations as our assessment because that's what we did in class, right? Then now they have alternate ways of expressing themselves. Um, and we've integrated the mathematics into the think into the thinking. We've integrated mathematics into the learning. And so mathematics becomes conceptual learning as opposed to that dichotomy we were talking about at the beginning. That, thank you so much for that, um, Chris, because I think you know, you know I you've heard it, I've heard it, uh, you know, as we've interacted with teachers all around, you know, that this whole idea of of math and it's scary. and my students aren't getting it because they lack that math side, and I need more math practice. And just the idea that, okay, let's let's step away for a minute. Let's not necessarily focus one hundred percent on the math, but let's think of some different ways you know, that we can have those students express the, their, their understanding. And, and I love, I love that, that, um, that freedom to be able to do that, um, that idea 
Chris, before we close, because we are running out of uh, of time, um, would you mind mentioning your two books? Because I, I'm not sure everyone knows that beyond the chemistry and the physics, you have two fabulous books out there that are full of wonderful resources for, for uh, teachers to jump on and use in the classroom. Uh, I'm sure that some of them would enjoy uh, reading them. So would you mind talking a little bit about them? Uh, absolutely, I wouldn't mind. Um, so you know, usually when we when we think about how we're going to both uh, assess uh, science and how we're going to teach science, we think about teaching science stuff, uh, knowing, knowledge, right? And then we build our assessments on the knowledge and the things that students have learned. Uh, but the problem with that is it, it misses out on, on the whole breadth of what science actually is um, because science does change. And if we're creating the next generation of scientists, then we really have to focus on getting students to do science and to think like scientists. And so I have two books uh, that are available where books are sold on Amazon. If you want to uh, search by title, you will find them. Uh, but well, the first one is called Creating Scientists, Teaching and Assessing Science Practice for the Next Generation Science Standards. Obviously, we focus on the next generation science standards, but there's applicable really uh, for just about any state standards out there because the focus is on how do you go about teaching and how do you go about assessing science practice, uh, the, the doing of, of the science, which is different than assessing students' uh, content knowledge, right? It's how they act on that content knowledge or how do they determine that that knowledge is true through the practices of the scientists? How do you assess science doing the, the sort of the, what we might consider the lab activities that students are constantly doing? And it's based off of uh, a large amount of research that uh, my team has done over the years working with both middle school students and working with pre-service elementary and middle school teachers. And then the uh, second book is called Teaching Science Thinking, uh, Using science, re using Scientific Reasoning in the Classroom. And so that, uh, that book actually has a set of what we call metacognitive tasks that can be in inserted into any lesson. And we kind of did this in some of our uh, experience physics and experience chem curricula. But these metacognitive tasks can be inserted into any lesson. So you can take... Uh, obviously, if you're not using experience chemistry, experience physics, you should be, but you can still use uh, the existing curriculum that you have and insert these metacognitive tasks. And what do I mean by metacognitive tasks? It's just ways of getting students to think about the reasoning patterns that they're using as they're doing the science so that uh, it, it makes the scientific reasoning explicit. And so that book talks about how you can use scientific reasoning in your classes, how to make it explicit, and then how can you actually assess that students are thinking like scientists, like what kind of ways can you go about making those assessments? And we give examples of rubrics. We give examples in the book on how you can actually uh, design the curriculum from start to finish. We show one example from uh, magnetism where, you know, we go through the whole process uh, and where we can incorporate the different pieces. And the idea is that we're creating, we're providing a framework for teachers that's generative and that can be incorporated within their existing lessons. Thank you, Chris. You, you know, I always enjoy sitting down and talking with you. You, you just, you have such great information and and I love the way your mind thinks around science and um, and all the great things that you're contributing to uh, science education. Thank you for that. Well, thank you, Leon, and thanks for having me. 
All right, Chris, uh, I'm going to turn it right back over to Walter. Walter, you want to close this out? Many thanks to both Leon Eikhoff Gentry and Dr. Chris Moore for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. This Keep in Science Real podcast series is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savvis.com today to request pre-K through 12 curriculum samples for your school or district. And you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savvis Learning with hashtag moving learning forward.